Welcome to a place where we combine equal parts science, technology, design, and entrepreneurship. Then we gradually stir in magic to the mixture, and you have the Perception Podcast. Join us in conversations with design heroes, inspirational thinkers, business leaders, and trailblazers across the globe. Our guest today is John Absmeyer. John has an interesting background, starting with his career at Delphi, the automotive technology company, where he worked his way up for over 17 years. While at Delphi, he spent over eight years in Shanghai, China. After his time overseas, he came back to Silicon Valley for another four years at Delphi. Toward the end of 2015, he became VP of Smart Machines at Samsung. That's about the time I first met John. Two years after he joined Samsung, they acquired Harman International, and he is presently the Senior Vice President of the Autonomous Business Unit at Harman and Vice President of Smart Machines at Samsung. John and I have had some interesting conversations about the future of automotive, which usually ends with the love of cars we both share. So let's get right into our conversation with John Absmeyer. Hi, John. Thanks so much for being on the Perception Podcast. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to join us. Hi, Danny. My pleasure. Great. So let's, uh, let's just start this up. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from and where you grew up, you know, your education, things like that. Sure, yeah. So I am a fourth-generation native Californian, if you can believe that. Kind of rare. Uh, but I grew up in uh, the Los Angeles area. Uh, I spent most of my life, I guess, uh, near the coast in Ventura, California. Um, so grew up always around a lot of car culture, and I've always been uh, fascinated by and in love with, with cars, as you know, as you and I have talked about. Um, but uh, but I, I like to cla- classify myself as a geek, a gearhead, and a jarhead. Uh, so I, I, uh, I started out with my first computer in 1984 uh, when I was about 10 years old, and then somewhere uh, five years later or so when I was about 15, uh, I got my first car. And uh, it was all downhill from there, pretty much. Uh, in fact, you, you'll like this. My, my first car that I got uh, was the, the Unworthy Pony. It was a, a 1974 Mustang II, which is basically a Pinto. Um, but uh, but it, was a, it was a family car that ended up having so many maintenance issues that my mom parked it in the driveway, and it sat there for a few years. And I ended up fixing it and trading it for some Volkswagen, for two Volkswagen Bugs. And, uh, and the addiction has continued ever since. Um, but, I, uh, yeah, I grew up in Southern California, and then I, I went into the Marine Corps, which is where the jarhead part comes in. Um, I was a mechanic in the Marine Corps in motor transport. And after doing about two years of active duty, I went to college, went to Purdue University, and I went to Purdue mainly because my mom recognized more than I did that, uh, that I was supposed to be an engineer and that I was supposed to work in the automotive industry. And, uh, and so I wanted to be at a, at a great engineering school somewhere nearby the automotive industry. And so I made the awkward move from the beautiful west coast of California to, uh, to the icy cold uh, barren tundra of the Midwest. Wow, that must have been a nice little treat for you. <laughs> Surfboard yeah, to skis. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, actually, the funny thing, I never had a, uh, a heavier jacket than like a hoodie. Uh, so <laughs> so I, I quickly uh, learned what winter was. Um, yeah, so after, so after I finished at Purdue, um, actually, while I was at Purdue, I ended up getting a uh, co-op um, assignment or opportunity, I should say, at uh, Delco Electronics, which uh, was owned by Hughes, which was acquired by GM, and then GM eventually bundled up all the auto parts 
businesses and spun it out as Delphi, which is where I spent the majority of my career um, working all over the world, pretty much. So I guess that's uh, that's pretty much how you, you went down that, that path and how you got into the, uh, the automotive uh, electronics world. How did you get your first break and what were some of your role models along the way? I Yeah, you know, I... I so that's a really hard question, actually. Um, I'd say I've been very fortunate. I had a lot of um, great mentors and sponsors uh, throughout my career. Um, I guess if I were to try to pin down the quote-unquote first break, um, when I was graduating from my undergraduate at Purdue, um, I got the chance to get a fellowship from General Motors to go to grad school. And it's called the GM Fellowship, or at that time it was. I don't know what it's called now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I uh, was one of, I don't know, I think each year they awarded two or three of those, max. Um, and so I, I got to go and pick the school I wanted to go to and study what I wanted to study. Of course, I had to pitch that. And um, I was selected and, and given the chance to go to UC Berkeley and do an engineering degree, a master's in engineering, as well as a um, a, a business degree in management of technology. And I would say that was the first big break. And, and in that time, uh, there was a gentleman at, at Delphi named Jeff Owens, who um, uh, was the head of R&D. And uh, he has been a, a mentor and a, um, a role model for me my, throughout my career. He ended up uh, as the, the CTO of, of Delphi and retired uh, earlier this year, actually. Um, but I've had a, I, I mean, there's been so many quote-unquote, big break opportunities uh, in, in Delphi, um, outside of Delphi, and, and now in Samsung and Harman as well. Right, right. So, you know, you mentioned um, traveling the world, uh, you know, when you were at Delphi, because that was a, a big part of your career. Um, but what was it like? Because you spent a lot of time in Shanghai. What was that like? It was awesome. I uh, It was enlightening. Uh, actually, so I, uh, when I graduated from Berkeley, I went to work in Indiana, um, uh, and I had been working on electric vehicles and hybrids um, for pretty much the majority of my time before that at, uh, at Delphi. And, uh, and, and I was asked to go work in, in Rochester, New York, and work on fuel cells. And then um, I got the chance to go to California and work at a startup company that was funded by uh, Delphi, Sun, Microsystems, and Palm, if you remember the Palm pilot. Yep. Uh, and it was the first uh, automotive. Yeah, right. It was really the first um, automotive telematics business uh, for connected car. And uh, I went and worked on that startup for about a year. And I had moved my wife and we sold our house in in New York and moved out back to the West Coast and just bought a condo. And Delphi went into a Chapter 11 process and decided to uh, start burning the furniture. And the startup company was one of the first things they decided had to go. And so um, I was tasked with selling it. And when we sold the business, it was all great. I learned a lot. It was really exciting. Um, I was given two options. I could either, well, three, actually. I could stay with the company, with the acquirer of the the startup company. I could go move down to Malibu, California, and work in what was Hughes Research Lab. uh, Or I could go to China. And, um, And I thought, you know, uh, I can always come back home to California, but how many chances do you get to go live in a place like China, which at the time in 2005 was, um, you know, just really at the at the knee in the curve or at the beginning of the hockey stick, right? Yep. Um, and so I, I quickly decided to go to China. And, I, you know, you asked what was it like. 
it was amazing. Uh, you know, the, at that time, not a lot of people spoke English. Um, so my wife and I both had to learn Chinese and, and we, we took it very seriously. We learned Chinese. Uh, it's probably degraded now, but I can still speak Chinese pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of funny. Uh, my wife and I now use Chinese in America or other countries where people can't understand us. We don't want people to understand our, our English. Right. Um, but, but it was amazing. I mean, from the cultural perspective, the food, um, the, the mobility and transportation was even fascinating in China, right? Because mm-hmm. bicycles and taxis and it was mayhem. Uh, completely different food order or food chain, rather, um, in terms of transportation in China than it is in the Western world. Business was was booming in China. Um, I, I had the chance to grow a business um, from, I don't know, it was around a 12 or $18 million a year business in that range uh, to uh, $300 million a year business uh, over a period of a few years. So it was it was fascinating and fun. That's great. So so I would assume that would be one of the highlights of uh, of being or working at Delphi. So what would be um, one of the projects that you remember working on that stood out to you, you know, all your years there? Oh, wow. Um, a lot of projects, but I, I would say um, a, a couple that were really fantastic, um, you know, working on electric vehicles uh, in the in the 90s, which was uh, the EV1, if you remember, who killed the electric car, the EV1. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was a fresh engineer getting to work on, uh, on that project, um, in the, in the mid nineties. Um, so that was phenomenal. Um, and then further down the road, uh, working, uh, in China to launch the first domestic hybrid electric vehicle in China. Uh, that was a, pro- a project I had in the business that I actually booked and developed, uh, in Delphi, um, with uh, SAIC, Shanghai Automotive. And uh, another one was uh, the first domestic active safety project in China. So we launched Adaptive Cruise Control, which is ADOS. Um, in fact, I think you had asked me what ADOS was uh, in, in another discussion. And ADOS is uh, Advanced Driver Assistance Systems. It's the, uh, it's the building blocks or the precursors to autonomous driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I launched that in in China with uh, with um, FAW First Automotive or First Auto Works. That was also fun. Um, and then I'd say the um, the capstone in my Delphi career was really getting the chance to lead innovation uh, for Delphi and come out to Silicon Valley after I returned from China and start Delphi's uh, Silicon Valley in- Innovation Center. And, uh, and and there I got to work on autonomous driving. And if you saw in 2015 the car that drove itself from Los Angeles to New York, um, that product and that technology was was built by my team at the time. And uh, and we executed that cross country journey for uh, the first coast to coast autonomous drive. So that was really the capstone, I'd say. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So so then why the move from Delphi, which was more you know car oriented, to Samsung, which is Obviously, obviously has a huge portfolio of different uh, types of products. Yeah, Samsung's fascinating. Um, I, I would say there were um, a couple of major reasons why. Um, and number one reason why uh, was because I had been in one company for nearly 20 years, and um, you know, I, I pretty much gave my youth to that uh, effort, right? And I uh, and I had a wonderful career, and I can't say anything bad about it. It was fantastic, amazing. But I also recognized—I I think I turned 40, and I was like, 
gosh, I've only ever worked in, you know, I had other jobs, but they were not career jobs. Right. And I thought, I, I, should I see something new? Um, and the second reason was um, when I looked around at what is happening in the automotive industry, as you and I both know, there's really a revolution happening, right? It's a renaissance. And uh, automotive is sexy again, which um, my, since I was a kid, I think most people were like, what? You want to go be by Detroit? You want to work in the, what? Why, why the automotive industry? And I've always been fascinated with technology and cars. And as this revolution is occurring in auto, I thought this is basically my dream come true, right? This is everything that I've worked on for the past 20 years, fuel cells, connectivity, telematics, infotainment, uh, safety, autonomous driving. It's all uh, electric vehicles. It's all now coming, right? Um, and so I thought if there were ever a time in my career that it w would be right to move from a traditional auto company to a technology company, now would be the time. Uh, and, then, and then I guess third major and maybe the, the, the coffin nail in, in my decision to depart Delphi was that um, the, the gentleman who I worked for here in Samsung essentially put a blank piece of paper in front of me and said, you know, when I asked him what I would do working on automotive in Samsung, he basically said, you tell me, what, what should we do? So I had the chance to, you know, guide and shape and lead the overall automotive strategy for Samsung, which uh, is, has been awesome, amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible to be able to uh, have an opportunity like that to, like you said, you know, shape what the next generation of, uh, you know, automotive could look like. And uh, especially with the backing of, uh, of Samsung's technology behind you, that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. As you look back on your career, you know, did, what, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, something, and this is still a, a big challenge. Um, uh, you know, as a, as a leader in any fast-moving, high-tech, complex space, I think probably one of the biggest challenges I've had, and it's 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 a continuous learning journey, is managing super talented people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I haven't had a problem attracting and retaining them, but I have. It, it is difficult to um, to manage really talented, smart, uh, driven people. Uh, and I, I like the challenge, um, but, uh, but I'd say that's been um, a big learning um, throughout my career for me, especially as a young leader. Uh, it's it's um, something that you learn every day about. Um, uh, other challenges, um, you know, I'd say another big one was in, in order to really um, – uh, accelerate my career and continue upward trajectory. Um, I, I've had to relocate myself and my family, uh, I think seven times in the past 21 years or so, 22 years. Wow. Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's been a challenge a little bit as well. And in the early years, it wasn't, it was fun and exciting. Uh, but I'd say, um, it definitely takes a toll. Uh, uh like I ruined my, my wife's career uh, because of that. Uh, so, so uh, other than that, I, I'd say my I've, I've just had a, a blast. I'm I'm still having fun, and uh, right. hope to not ever end that, uh, you know, trajectory, if you will. Right, right. Well, it's important to have fun because um, you know people call their their job or you know got to go to work, you know. And I think there's uh, there's there's importance to you know, saying, hey, I got to go to work, but, you know, you got to love what you do or else, you know, what's the point of getting in the car and driving or getting on the train to, to go into the city to get to work? So, 
Um, you mentioned meeting, you know, talented people as a, as a challenge. And it's interesting because we face similar obstacles, you know, when we're dealing with talented folks here at Perception. So what do you do to inspire your team and to keep them inspired? Good question. Um, I try to act or manage like we are a family. Um, and I think there's a, there's a fine line between being the boss and being um, a friend. Um, and I try to walk that tightrope um, because I, I think it's important to understand people's, um, you know, life situations, whatever they are, uh, and, and help them as much as I can outside and inside of work. Um, so I think that, that helps. I, I like to also include people. I'm very transparent. I'm totally open. I mean, I, I think if you ask anybody that's ever worked for me, I'd probably share too much. Um, but I do that because I feel like if people are invested in and they understand why, if they're invested in what we're doing and they understand why some of the decisions or things happening um, affect their daily work, um, they're generally a lot more um, motivated, dedicated, and loyal. Right. Um, and so I, 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 I try to be extremely open. Um, and I guess I, I like to have fun and maybe that's a big, big, big part. Like I said, I, I, I'm still having fun. I, I don't take myself too seriously and I, I don't like it when people are too serious and, and, you know, angry, pissed off people. I, I prefer to be uh, fun and funny and make jokes out of, you know, uh, sometimes serious things, but, you know, keep, keep people laughing and smiling because you get a lot more, uh, productivity and a lot more, uh, happiness in their work uh, as a result of that. Right. Yep. Yeah, and I think they also realize, you know, you've been in, in the business and you've worked on so many different uh, things that you're somewhat of an expert, you know, that, that's leading the charge, so to speak, and that, you know, at any moment they could say, hey, look, I need help with this, and, you you, you know, you can get into the, into the trenches with them, and I think that's something that definitely here, you know, the team appreciates, because, you know, I used to do the actual work that they're doing, and, and uh, you know, they're a lot faster than me now because of my age, of course, <laughs> but... Uh, it's that transparency and it's that uh, knowing that the boss knows what he's doing and um, and I'm going to follow him and, uh, yeah. and getting everybody yeah. involved is definitely key like you said you know the family aspect of it indeed indeed so let's talk uh, cars you know you and I are both big car fanatics I think that's uh, that's how we end or start every conversation especially when we need it, <laughs> it is <laughs> but um, so, so for the car folks uh, that uh, listen to the channel give me your five uh, top five favorite cars that's like that's an impossible task I know I'll, I knew I'll it was do... gonna be that's why I had to ask the question <laughs> um, there's 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 so many many cars that I love um, and want in my stable um, I would say my number one, the car that I have uh, uh, been fantasizing about for many, many years that keeps going up in price so it gets further and further away is the uh, Lamborghini Mira. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, are you familiar with, with that? Yep. yep. Like the, I, I, I uh, watch uh, Mikamoto auctions all the time and all the other ones, you know, Barrett-Jackson, and uh, every once in a while one rolls across. Oh, they're just, I, I, I can't, they're so awesome. Uh, yeah, like. You know, they're going now for over $2 million, though, for a nice one. So it's a little bit out of range today, yep. but maybe, maybe some. Um, well, you know, I'm um, in New York, say, so I probably know a guy that could get it. <laughs> I bet you do, actually. I bet you do. You know, they, um, they, they, it might fall off the truck one of these days. You never know. Okay, let me know. As soon as you have the one that falls off the truck, I'll be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, so that's probably number one. I, I, as you know, I'm a huge Porsche fanatic. Um, 
the uh, late 60s, early 70s vintage 911, uh, I love. I love them. I, I still want one. Um, I also have an uh, affliction for the uh, 356 Porsche. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you'll, uh, you'll love, uh, I just picked up a 55 Speedster Carrera or Carrera Speedster, uh-huh. uh, 356 Carrera Speedster. It's, uh, it's really sweet. It's a clone, uh, but it's a bitchin', really bitchin' car. Nice. Um, and then I'd say I'll move into my uh, American uh, uh, love, which, as you, I think you know, I have a 71 Chevelle. Um, I'm a big fan of the, the Chevelle. And the last one on the list that I, I don't have but that I want is, um, is a Lincoln Continental, a 63 or 64 Lincoln Continental convertible. Wow. Um, yeah. That's a that's an odd one, Lincoln Continental. That's out. That's a little bit out of uh, the ordinary. It's just a cool car. I mean, it well, is, it's yeah. what JFK killed in, but uh, but it, it is. Uh, it's just such a sweet cruiser. I mean, they're they're about as long. I don't know. They're probably like forty feet long, but uh, yeah. a sweet car. Yeah, it's like an aircraft carrier with like two sofas in it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Let's jump into a little bit more of, uh, I guess, uh, today's car. So tell me what you think is a perfect autonomous vehicle experience. Well, that's a really hard question because uh, so far we don't even have full autonomy. I mean, no one's demonstrated, in my opinion, no one's even really demonstrated level four autonomy where you can completely disconnect um, uh, from the driving task. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the levels of autonomy, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but the Society of Automotive Engineers has classified it in, I guess, five or six categories, level zero being no autonomy, level one being warning systems, level two, I'll say, is feet off, so things like adaptive cruise control, mm-hmm. level three is feet off, hands off, so adaptive cruise control with lane centering, um, like Audi is launching on their A8 this year. Uh, level four is feet off, hands off, mind off for certain parts of the driving task. And level five is man off, meaning don't even need a steering wheel and pedals. Uh, I would argue that we have not seen level four or level five yet mm-hmm. anywhere. We've seen level three for sure. Um, and, and part of that's regulatory because it's still required that a human is behind the wheel and that we have a steering wheel and pedals in the car. Um, so the perfect experience, I think, has to be level five, meaning when we can completely disconnect from the driving task. Uh, I also think that it's connected, meaning that we can get access to our digital life in the car and do whatever we want in the car, whether that's relax, whether that's um, sleep, whether that's um, you know work, be productive, and to be able to consume content uh, in the car is going to be critical. And then I think also electric, um, you know, although I, I, I've, I made this joke a long time in my career because I worked on electric vehicles in my daily life, I like to drive gross polluters, but in my career, I focus on clean, efficient and safe driving. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, that's somewhat true, but, uh, but I also drive an electric vehicle. My daily driver is a Fiat 500 E and, uh, I had a model S before, as I think you and I have talked about, um, which I traded for a, a Porsche 911 and a uh, and a Fiat 500e, um, but uh, but anyway, I, I think the autonomous experience of the future is electric. Um, although when I drive, I like to have that feeling, the vibration, the noise, the, the smell, um, etc. Uh, when I'm not driving, silence is wonderful. 
Yep. Um, even if I'm driving along commute and traffic, silence is pretty, pretty nice. Um, so I think that's probably the perfect uh, future autonomous uh, experience. Uh, autonomous in level five, completely connected and fully electric. Yeah, I mean, it's similar with, uh, you know, with us here, you know, we work on these projects with automobile uh, companies about, you know, what, what's happening in, you know, 10, 20 years from now, things like that, and, and in, in the autonomous world. And, and um, it's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, I love doing it for work as well, but then, you know, because I commute on a train every single day for work, come, you know, when, when it comes to the weekend, I just want to jump in my truck and um which you know i have a jeep srt8 and uh, i just want to unleash and smell the exhaust and, yeah. and listen to the rumble so it's really yeah. hard for uh you know and then i'm on these calls and they're like hey uh you know what are you guys driving i'm like oh man if i tell them i tr you know i'm driving something that guzzles a full tank of gas in one shot they're gonna they're gonna be like um can danny get off the call please <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting for sure as far as like the uh the separation of fuel and then of fuel cells. I agree, you know, we love working in the, in the futuristic world of automotive, and then I just want to light up the car and, and uh, go for a cruise with, you know, changing the gears myself and, and things like that. So, Indeed. you know, we, we actually uh, got to collaborate with Harman uh, a while back, um, and this is before, you know, the acquisition of, of Samsung, uh, picking them up. And I know that Samsung launched an autonomous uh, driving fund, and I see a, a bunch of your LinkedIn um, um, posts that you share, and there was approval for you know autonomous testing and things. So can you share a little bit about what's going on over there? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, we, we made a, an announcement in Frankfurt at the Motor Show um, last month, um, and I guess what we've uh, publicly disclosed so far is that um, we've decided uh, between Samsung and Harman uh, to create a focused effort on building a business around ADOS and autonomous driving. And, uh, and I'm leading that effort. Um, and what that means is now I have another job. <laughs> uh, as you, as you Stack know, I'm on. Uh, part, yeah, just what I needed. As you know, I was part of the Harman acquisition team. And as we started to look at how Samsung can become a bigger player in automotive and also how we could continue to grow Harman's business, um, you know, Harman is very strong in connectivity and telematics and infotainment. Uh, as well as software and services and um, over-the-air programming and, and things like that. Um, and even in audio, uh, they have like 16 iconic audio brands. Most people don't even know, like JBL and AKG. And, yeah, I mean, um, I know them, you know, Harman Kardon and, and definitely JBL. Absolutely. And they've, yep. they've, they've got a lot of great strengths in audio. But they have not been a player in the safety uh, and autonomous driving business. Uh, so we recognize that um, as a great opportunity for growth and expansion. And so this effort is really to uh, to drive that as a joint activity between Samsung and Harman. So I still have my role as Vice President of Smart Machines in Samsung. Um, and I report up to the Chief Strategy Officer of Samsung Electronics and also the Chairman of the Board of Harman now. Um, and uh, on the Harman side, uh, I'm the SVP of the ADOS and Autonomous Driving Business Unit. Um, that, that we're going to market with. Uh, so we're doing a lot of uh, technology investment. We have the venture fund, as you saw, we announced a $300 million fund. We also have other venture funds in Samsung that we leverage. So far made uh, somewhere in the range of uh, 16 or 17 automotive-related investments through the funds. 
Um, we just announced a big investment in TT Tech, which is um, a, a strategic partner as well as now a portfolio company uh, that is an expert in functional safety and autonomous driving. Um, they're probably a little little known name, but they are the brains behind and the architects behind the Audi A8, uh, what's called ZFAS, mm-hmm. um, which is a German acronym, but that's the um, level three autonomous driving car that Audi's launching uh, this year. Um, uh, TT Tech was the uh, was the brains behind that architecture and that uh, compute and software framework for that uh, platform. Uh, so so that's um, around our efforts. Uh, so far, um, but what we also announced was that uh, we're developing an open, modular, and scalable uh, autonomous driving platform. And everybody says platform, and everybody says open. I think when most people say open platform, they mean open for business. Um, that means if you come, I'll sell it to you. I'm open. Um, but in this case, uh, when I say open, I mean we're open to different chipsets from various vendors. We're open to software coming from multiple third parties, and we're open uh, API to do that. And we are open uh, interface for hardware and sensors to uh, integrate with the platform. So um, it's, it's quite a different concept, um, but it's starting to get traction, and, and the approach that we're taking is, um, is, is well underway. We've been working on it now for a couple of years, actually. So are you guys uh, going to do any types of partnerships with any of the automotive uh, companies? Oh, no, no, we are. Um, so our investment in TT Tech is alongside Audi, actually. Um, so we are we are starting uh, to work with car makers. You know, Harman has great channels and great relationships with the car makers. Yep. So we're leveraging as well. Uh, but um, but we're talking and working with both traditional automakers as well as the new entrants that are uh, doing autonomous driving and mobility as a service plays. Great. Uh, I'm going to just jump into some bonus questions. Yeah, sure. All right. Bonus away. Okay, cool. So besides automotive, what other passions do you have? Well, obviously, automotive is like my uh, my major passion uh, for sure. Um, but I love technology. I'm a I'm a total geek. I, I love gadgets. I love digging into new um, you know uh, uh, projects, electronics and software projects. Um, I do a lot of. Um, I I built uh, and started a startup uh, for e-bikes. I, I finished it now, but uh, but I designed and built up electric bicycles for a while and, um, and sold a fair amount of them, actually. Um, but uh, I'd say besides anything related to mobility and transportation, I'm, I'm into sailing, which is still, I guess, mobility and transportation, but I, I love to sail. And, and, and with that, I also love to travel. Uh, so we've been doing uh, traveling to go sailing excursions. Uh, this year we were in Tahiti um, and Greece. Uh, to, to sail and hang out. Both were spectacular. Nice. Well, it's interesting, uh, you know, sailing. It's got to be uh, obviously the most cleanest way to, to move. It is. I, it is. It's spectacular. Actually, you know, I live on the Monterey Bay, and um, it's it's a massive wildlife sanctuary, right? Um, and sailing in the Monterey Bay, literally, multiple occasions I've been sailing along, and a whale will, will breach just next to the boat. So obviously, you know, it's not scared because there's no engine running. You're pretty silent. Right. It just probably hears you swiffing through the water. But uh, but just it's it's spectacular. I, I love it. I don't get to do it enough, but uh, but I do love to when I can. I'd love to be there when you start up the Chevelle in the uh, preserve and then see all the animals just turn around like, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. That's the uh, that's the great uh, irony in my passions, I guess. Yep. That's all the questions I have for you. Um, you know, again, I appreciate the time. Thanks for being part of the uh, Perception Podcast, and um, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Danny. It's a pleasure. So uh, looking forward to seeing you again soon, hopefully. Are you going to be at CES? Of course, I will be at CES. We'll right, be, so... uh, in fact, uh, make a make a trip to our uh, to our booth for sure. We'll arrange that. All right, awesome. I'd love to. And if you're in New York anytime soon, give me a ring and. Uh... I'll bring one of the Mustangs into uh, the city, and we'll have some fun if you have time. Sounds good, man. All right, take care. Thanks again, John. Okay, thanks, Danny. Take care. Bye-bye. And that wraps up another episode of the Perception Podcast. As always, send any questions and comments to ask at experienceperception.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Sign up for our weekly newsletter on our site, experienceperception.com slash contact. Lastly, If you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and write a nice review. See you on the next episode.